Thanks for joining us for the Changing the Industry podcast, where we try to effectuate change for the better, one conversation at a time. Part of that change is providing help for those that need it. This is why we've partnered with the Institute for Automotive Business Excellence. Whether it's help with sales, operations, or just getting your numbers in order, these folks are some of the very best in the industry. And for our listeners, they'll sit down with you and go over your strengths, your weaknesses, and the opportunities that are in front of you. They'll create a customized plan for how to move forward absolutely free. That's right, free. And if your plan includes one-on-one coaching, they can also help you with that. There's no hard sales pitch, no obligation, just honest help from honest people. So if that's something that you think could benefit you, make sure you click on the link in the show notes. And now, on to the show. I remember how it used to be. The phone's ringing off the hook. Clients are coming in the front door like crazy. And here comes little technician Timmy. Timmy comes up and he says, hey boss, where's my part? Where you want me to go next? What you want me to do? Gosh, Timmy, if I knew, I'd tell you, buddy, but I am covered up. All of that stopped when I found Shopware. With Shopware, you get an industry-leading expediter right there in the software. It tells you if your parts are here, where your technician should go next, and how much time they have left to complete the jobs in the day. Go to GetShopware.com to learn more. GetShopware.com. Hey everybody, David here, and welcome to the ASOG Podcast. One of the pieces of advice that's often given to shop owners is to start thinking like a CEO. And the idea is that it forces you to think outside of the day-to-day operations of your shop. Well, we recently had a chance to sit down and have a conversation with Carolyn Cocolette, who is a technician, a shop owner, and also a CEO. We cover several topics, including technician training and whether or not the move to all electric vehicles will spell the end of the industry as we know it. Listen to how Carolyn approaches these issues as it was abundantly clear she was thinking far outside day-to-day operations. But before we begin, if you're an automotive industry professional or a shop owner yourself, then you are in the right place. This is a podcast created by shop owners for shop owners and those seeking out their perspective. We have frank and open conversations where we discuss the struggles and challenges we have every single day and what we're trying to do about it. So, if you like this content, we'd greatly appreciate a subscription on your favorite podcast listening app. If you're catching us on YouTube, hit that like button and subscribe to the channel so you never miss an upload. Now, with all that out of the way, here we go. So, Miss Carolyn, I was telling David earlier that I think the first time we met, we were at a uh, vision dinner and you started talking and I'm like, dude, I know you from somewhere. Where do I? You're like from California and I'm from North Carolina. Where do I know you from? And you kept talking. I'm like, I know where I know her from. I I searched a video about taking headlights out of a Prius one time trying to find that one stupid clip. That's where I know her from. You know, a lot of people have met me through that that infamous Prius headlight video. I don't know how many views that video has. I should look it up. But, you know, you, <laughs> uh, yeah. The, the, Anyways, the big funny. question is, is it monetized? 
Yeah, no, I'm not getting it. I, I have, I don't need to make money off of those videos. I, I, I hate watching a video and having to, to you know, so through an ad. Parse, parse through all that garbage, right? So yeah. I, I choose not to do it. But um, it's funny, you know, you, you had that experience. It's really funny when we have customers, of course, this doesn't happen anymore because I'm never in the shop, but uh, customers come in and I would be like replacing their headlight bulb for, for them. They're like, oh my God, you're the person from the video. Yes. It's like, it's YouTube live. Yes, that's me. I'm actually going to um, replace it right in front of you. <laughs> dude, I'm telling you, you saved me every bit of 30 minutes finding one clip. I'll, I'll just, mm -hmm. you know, and, and it wasn't in service information. So I was like, where is this stupid thing at YouTube? Listen, YouTube yeah. certified. That's what I am. I'm telling you. <laughs> Um, that never gets old too. I love that joke. <laughs> well, so, you know, it, it's kind of interesting because I was talking to David a little bit earlier and we were talking about you and, and talking about some of the things we wanted to talk about. And, and one of the things that I've always found really interesting about you and your shop is because you took like a completely different mindset towards how to run the shop. And, and I noticed that. So there were a couple of times that, that it stood out for me is a just in hearing you talk about your clients and the transparency that you bring to the table with your clients. And then we did a podcast on a, a, a training or something a while back and you were talking about waiters and, and it's just like the rest of us are trying to get away from waiters and you're like, Oh, they don't bother me at all. And, and I <laughs> wanted you to talk about that a little bit because you have a completely different mindset on the way a shop should run than like 80% of the shops. Yeah. I mean, I think a lot of it is a function of the cars that we're working on. So, right. which isn't to say that we're particular, particularly creative, right? It's just that this is, this is what we got to do to fix those cars. Um, right. And like, the Prius is an appliance on wheels. It's uh, it's the like if you look at the Gen Two Prius, the other ones have gotten a little bit sexier. But you know, you go to the kind of the the, the Prius that started it all. I mean, that car is like so sterile. And this is why people never change their oil. This is why the car runs out of oil because the customer forgets that there's even. They also run out of gas. It's like one of the one of the first things that you do. <laughs> When you buy, buy a Prius, a new owner of a Prius, the first thing they have to do is go run it out of gas because they, they don't actually, there have been people we've talked to who are like, I didn't realize I was going to have to put gas in this car. It's just like, <laughs> <laughs> anyway, anyway, real smart, real smart, right? So anyway, um, it's hard talking those people down too. It's like, well, you, you know, it is, it is still a car and, you know, mm. <laughs> anyway, so, um, you know, so they don't, um, they don't get to engage, right, with the car really in, in any technical way. I mean, some of them are uh, more technically inclined themselves. And so, you know, they affiliate with wanting to drive kind of a more technically advanced car, at least it was at the time when it first came out. And so there is like kind of like a nerd factor with some of the Prius community. But I mean, by and large, the folks that are driving these cars are, are driving them because they just need an appliance. You know, it's not about, you know, sex, money or power. There's no, there's no you know, visceral experience driving a Prius. It's not like, ooh, goody, I'm driving my Prius. You know, it's just like, <laughs> right. just, get, just get in the pod and the pod takes me where I need to go. You don't okay, run fine. into hypermilers so, though? Oh yeah, well, we've done that too. Um, we've, you know, we like to, we like to engage with sort of the, the, the EV freaks is what I call them. They're like my base, right? Those are like the craziest people in the world. 
Um, and so those the hypermilers are definitely in that contingent. There was a, a whole... Lucas and I have been telling you about Parts Tech for a while now and how it gives you access to unlimited parts and tire vendors and direct integration with over 35 shop management systems. And now they've just launched a new referral program. All you have to do is open your Parts Tech account, go to My Shop, and click on the Rewards tab. There you'll find your referral URL, which you can share via email, text message, or on your social media. If your referral signs up for a new account and places five orders in the first 30 days, Parts Tech will send you a $100 gift card. That's it. Nothing else is needed. Your referrals can get you $100 just for using Parts Tech, which, by the way, is absolutely free to get started with. So if you're using Parts Tech already, start sharing that referral link. And if you haven't signed up for Parts Tech yet, what are you waiting for? Click on the link in the description or go to partstech.com forward slash podcast. That's partstech.com forward slash podcast. Hey, one more thing. If you find out that your shop management system doesn't integrate with Parts Tech, it's time to upgrade. David and I use what we believe to be the very best system on the market, shopware. With unmatched features like Parts GP Optimizer and DVX, which is their digital vehicle experience, Shopware really is way more than just a shop management software. With it, you'll be able to create an immersive and interactive experience for your client, setting you apart from everyone else using run-of-the-mill software. Are you ready to upgrade? Click the link in the show notes to get started. group of people in the Insight, uh, the Honda Insight community that were just like, because the Insight, I don't know if you know this, but the Prius will tell you what your average mileage is and... um, uh, the Gen 1s would do it over multiple tanks of gas, but on the Gen 2s, it would reset every time you filled the gas tank. And so you wouldn't know kind of what your historic uh, mileage is. The Insight, the original Insight would tell you your mileage for the entire like ownership of the car. And so you can see how you were doing. And there were people who had, you know, these competitions online to who could get that number the highest with the number of miles that they had driven, right? And so, you know, people got insane over a hundred MPG, you know, in these in these insights, driving them, like, you know, pushing them out of their driveway, <laughs> not not starting the car, like pushing them out of the driveway and hopping into the driver's seat. <laughs> Just like insane stuff. Um, anyway, you know, for the for the joy of it, right? Why not? It's a game. Uh, have fun while you're at it. But um the Prius is just such a, a sterile experience that um, from a service perspective, we really felt strongly about wanting to bring them into the technology and the work that we were actually doing so they could appreciate what that work actually was. Um, right. so they would pay for it. Right. <laughs> exactly. Uh, and so, yeah. Right. And so, and you know, I would, I would argue that, that this is happening more and more for everybody who drives a car, you know, the, the car is getting worse and worse about communicating with the customer it used to say just the check engine light and that didn't mean check engine it didn't mean you and then if you opened the hood it had a big piece of plastic over the top of it so you couldn't see anything anyway uh, if you attempted to open the hood and actually quote unquote check the engine but um you know there's all now there's a hundred of those lights or you're you're dealing with the tesla where it's just a screen you know it's just it's not even the indicator lights anymore and so the, the customer is, is isolated. It's ta- they're taken out of the experience of the technology of the car, the real technology of the car, right? Not the stupid right. car play, but the real technology that makes the car move down the road. 
they're deliberately taken away from all that because if they knew how complicated the car was, they wouldn't buy it. They wouldn't buy that car, you know? So they're, they hide all that stuff, right? It's just like, well, if I opened the hood and I actually saw the engine, that might be scary because it would look complicated. So I want to put this piece of plastic over the top of it so that, like, why do you need the piece of plastic? You've already got the hood, right? You know, like if you're opening the hood, presumably you want to get to something underneath it, not put a piece of plastic there, but no, that would be scary. So, you know, this, this process of like, basically like neutering the car uh, and making it more approachable or more digestible <laughs> for the, you know, the public to neutering accept all car, this technology great. is like, um, it's hurting us, right? It's hurting our yeah. business because now suddenly we have to do all of this work educating the customer about what the heck they're paying us for. And so the transparency and the access to the people that were made, that was on purpose, right? I did that on purpose to really try and expose to the customer, like, look, this is what we're actually doing. This is what you need. Uh, and that's why you should pay us for it. So that was, that was on purpose because the car was so sterile. And now you could argue that a lot of cars are sterile. Um, right, right. And then, and then, well, what, the, hold on, hold on. What was it that you yeah. exactly did, though? Well, you know, we always had, we never had a front office, we never had a counter. You yeah. always just pulled into the business. Um, and then we had a kiosk where you and I would stand next to each other and look at the repair order uh, prior to shop where it was high space, which was supposed to be like my space for your hybrid. Um, which tells you how old it was because older than older than Facebook. But that was um, the custom software that I had originally built to run the business. That was like a very, very shitty shop management system. Um, but but by God, I wasn't going to print paper and I wasn't going to give this like really poor experience that the legacy systems would have offered to my customer. I really wanted to give them like a digital experience. Again, they're hybrid drivers, right? They're San Francisco, like the the iPhone had just come out. It's like, I'm not giving these people a piece of paper. That's the last thing I'm going to do. And so we, you know, we, we had a piece of software that we ran for many years and then ultimately decided that it wasn't scalable and the, the, the code base didn't have a line of a test coverage. So it was buggy as hell. And so we said, okay, we, we got to throw this away. Uh, and, you know, started over with shopware, but that's, that's the whole idea, right? Is to offer that transparency and that access behind the curtain to really appreciate what the heck we do so that customers can appreciate and, you know, appreciation, not only uh, emotionally, but financially, right? So they can pay us. So you didn't get any pushback from the customers? Because, I, I mean, I've, I've had situations where the customer just goes, whoa, 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 I, I don't care. Just fix mm -hmm. it or tell me how much it's going to fix to be, how much it's going to be to fix the vehicle. Like, just don't, don't tell me, like, how you're making the the omelet just make me the omelet yeah yeah it's really hard to deliver a lot of detail in a synchronous um way so when you're talking on the phone or you're speaking to someone in person and you're giving them a lot of detail i, I once heard this i didn't even come up with this I, I read this on ietn years ago it was the the customer's mind is like a 30 second tape of recording and once you start talking longer than 30 seconds you are now overwriting whatever you had previously <laughs> said right. and so you have to basically tell them whatever you got to tell them in 30 seconds and as cars get more complicated you can't tell a customer what's wrong with their car in 30 seconds let alone help them navigate good better or best as far as what they want to do to address the issue 
And so moving that information into a digital context, this is why everyone has been thrilled with DBIs for so long, is that, my God, finally, I can put all this information there for the customer to review, and then we can talk about what they want to do about it. So that's sort of the magic is to give them the information and then they can self-serve. If they want to read the whole thing, fine. If they don't want to read it and they just want to get right to what do I need to pay, they can do that too. And that's how we live these days, right? This is how we shop online. This is how we inform ourselves about any of the decisions that we're making. It's interesting. I was um, reading this book. It's called Being Mortal and it's about healthcare. It's about... Um, humans in general and the fact that we're mortal, uh, you know, and we, we don't like to think about that. And it's, it's fascinating. I would highly recommend reading the book, especially if you have like an older parent or anyone in your life who is sick and you're trying to manage. <clears throat> um, but in it, the, the author, who is a doctor, um, is describing this experience that he had with his dad who got cancer and who happened to also be a doctor, going to a doctor. So they are both doctors. And they went to visit this cancer doctor and the doctor proceeds to just like regurgitate all of this detail about all these different cancer treatments and all the different things that, that, you know, could, we could potentially do uh, to address his concern. And like, even these two guys who are both doctors themselves were like, we can't, we can't even parse all of this detail. Like this is... <laughs> How, how do people who aren't even doctors deal with this like fire hose of information? And right. what he explains in the book is like, in the past, there was a way of doctoring that was like, doctor knows best, right? You'd come in, you'd sit down, they, you know, whatever, look at you and they'd say, do the, you know, take two and call me in the morning or whatever the case may be. You really weren't engaged in your own care. Um, and we actually kind of did that. Um, in auto repair for a long time, right? It would just be like, hey, little lady, hand over the keys and then I'll tell you, I'll tell you when you can pick it up, right? That's a that's a complaint that women have forever, have ever told. So anyway, um, fast forward to today's medicine, and there is this propensity to kind of give the patient all of this information because the doctor doesn't want to feel um, like they are biasing the uh, the patient's decision at all. So the idea is. Um, it first, you know, the first paradigm was like the initial paradigm was doctor knows best approach. And then this, this new paradigm is the um, uh, informational, doctor informational. Like I just give you all this information and you decide what you want to do. And what the gentleman in the book recommends is you actually want to be a doctor interpretive. So you take all of the information, you interpret it, and then you basically, you know, explain it to the patient so that they can know what to do. Like, in other words, they can't judge all this detail for themselves. They need you to do that. That's why they're paying you to do it, your expertise, right? So how do we strike this balance as service providers to be essentially, you know, doctor interpretive? And so you show them some of the information, but then you also kind of take them to the conclusion, which is, hey, this is what you should do. And you should believe me because I'm the expert. More of the advocate kind of position mm-hmm. in a lot of ways. And, and you know, that's something that I've – we've talked about it um, many times. There was a PBS special years ago, um, and it was talking about it, – it was frontline, but they were talking about facing death. Yeah. 
Mm-hmm. And, and, you know, people are always asking me about it. Hey, what's the link to that? They'll send me a message because I've brought it up so many times now. And it was talking about, you know, when we reach the end of our life, how they handle that. And I've always talked about it from the customer service perspective. Um, but I think it was really neat to see how they approach, especially that scenario now. Um, it is a completely different world than what it was 15 or 20 years ago. And I think that auto repair is also changing in that Mm -hmm. way. Now I'm surrounded by a lot of places who do it the old way. Give me your keys. Okay. I'll call you when it's done. Leave me alone. Mm -hmm. And, and I think that really speaks to some statistics and, and I, I don't mean to change the subject, but I think it's worth mentioning. You know, I was talking to somebody the other day and they were talking about training classes. And somebody said, hey, listen, um, we think we've got a problem. We just had this training class and only 10% of the people who were in this training class were between the ages of 20 and 40. Did we not mark it correctly? And somebody else said, uh, no, that's all that's in the automotive market. That's that's <laughs> There are no technicians 20 to 40. They're all above 50. Sorry, bro. Um, and, and, you know, I think that as we progress, you, you mentioned this is the, the world we live in now, right? The Amazon world, the, the McDonald's world where we say what we want, we get what we want, we want it now, and why is it not here yet? Um, mm-hmm. And, and so like you, you mentioned that, that so many of these DVIs serve them where they want to be served. Uh, you know, I've got customers or clients who will look at a DVI for two minutes. They'll look at one picture, call me back and say, just fix the damn thing. What are you doing? Why are you, I don't have time to look at this. And then I've got clients <laughs> that'll spend an hour and 45 minutes there. So I think it's really cool to kind of see that and, and look at the difference. Um, and provide them information at the level they want it provided at. But mm-hmm. but it's so important that we serve them, that they are our mm-hmm. primary focus, helping them understand where they want to understand it at, if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we definitely don't want them to fix their own car, right? We, we, we want to add as much value as the service provider as possible. Right, <laughs> and, right. Uh, and that's why we're there. I totally, I totally believe that we are, you know, we are the liaisons between these two kind of um, estranged parties, right? There's the car and there's the person who drives the car or the person who's responsible for it. (laughs) And they are, they are on totally opposite sides. Uh, And it's like, Hey guys, let's, let's introduce you. Let's, let's get to know each other. Well, here's needs over here. There's needs over here. How do we get everybody's needs met? Um, And, and figuring all that out. It's an, it's an interesting time. You know, you might think to yourself, well, gee, why is, why is all this complication in our lives all of a sudden? And right. the reality is that what's happening in the medical system and what's happening on cars and what's happening in our lives as far as using all of these new channels um, is because of the internet and because of digital technology, which is innovating at an you know breakneck pace. And so all of this, uh, all of the electronics, all of the stuff that we see going on, on board the cars, self-driving, uh, you know, all this autonomy connected, blah, 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 is the same stuff that's, you know, happening in healthcare and all of the, you know, new drugs and new technology that they're doing over there to try and solve problems. I mean, it's just, we are, we are all going through this digital age and it is requiring us to adapt, right? To understand how do we deal with 
more complication, right? How do we still um, separate the signal from the noise? It's, there's another book. So Nate uh, Silver, The Signal and the Noise, he has a, it's about, you know, how do you <clears throat> find patterns and look at statistics and so forth. It's a really interesting book, but he, he talks about in the introduction, which you can find online, you can just read the introduction without having to read the whole book. Um, he's the guy, he's like the, the sabermetrics guy. I don't know if he knows Nate Silver, but he, he has um, also that website that predicts elections and stuff. He's kind of an interesting fellow. Anyway, he talks about <clears throat> how it takes time for humans to learn how to manage when they have more information. As we, as we encounter new technology, we are very easily overwhelmed by having all of that additional information to process. And it takes us a while to be able to learn how to once again, you know, determine the signal from the noise. Again, like what's real news and what's fake news. Like It's like you can't tell the difference. Um, and so he, the example he uses is from um, the you know, 15th century, the Gutenberg press, um, uh, the printing press, which then led to the Gutenberg Bible. And um, of course, once they started printing uh, Bibles, and now suddenly the you know, parishioners could read the Bible for themselves, all of a sudden they didn't just sit in church and agree with whatever the, the priest was telling them, and it led to um, the Protestant Reformation, which then led to you know, all of the wars in Europe and like, you know, there was this, you know, massive, uh, uh, wave of death through all of the different wars <laughs> that cropped up as a result of the Protestant Reformation. Um, and then finally we all settled down and we all realized, you know, we could all interpret the Bible for, you know, ourselves and so on and so forth. That wasn't quite so dangerous to have a printed Bible anymore. Um, you know, that's exactly what we're going through now. All of a sudden we've unlocked you know, the internet, which is insane. And we now we have phones. So we have the entire world, all of the information in our pocket. Like, how do we, how do we come to decisions? Uh, it's hard right. and it's going to take some time. We just have to, we're going to try not to, you know, kill everybody in the process. We have to be patient um, with other humans as they try to figure things out and, and try not to have World War Three or anything. But um, it's really interesting to, cause we feel it every day, you know, it's like, okay, I'm on Amazon. What new heads, you know, my headphones, I've had, a these beats and the little, um, fabric that goes around the earpiece has been, you know, kind of falling apart for a while. And I went online, I was like, I'm going to buy some new head headphones. I, I couldn't make a decision. Do you know what I mean? Like, there's a million. Yeah, a million. absolutely. I'm going I'm to pick one. And then I was like, oh, you should get the Apple AirPod, whatever, pro things. And I'm like, ah, I don't want to be another tech douchebag. I don't want to do that, you know? So so anyway, I'm in paralysis. I can't I can't pick an ear set of ears. So now I just keep wearing these old beats, you know? <laughs> it's like and, uh, Well and and the minute you go buy a new pair, you're gonna see a review from somebody else that's like, those suck. Why would you have ever bought those? You're the biggest dummy ever. You shouldn't have bought that. Those are those are yesterday's technology. Sorry, bro. Yeah, um, you're and you're speaking hypothetically, right, Lucas? Like you've never ever had like yeah. any buyer's remorse yeah. from any of your <laughs> Yeah, never. Never, never. That's why I have a shelf full of microphones. It's okay. We won't talk about it. Um, well, hold on, hold on, hold on. Just because you buy a whole mess of microphones doesn't mean you had buyer's remorse. Also, I just stop. Like once once I make a decision, like I'm done. 
I don't care what anybody else says. I've made my decision. I'm moving on because yeah, if you go back and read, it's like, I'm going to start looking at (laughs) dissenting opinions on this particular product. You will depress yourself that you're like, Oh man, I'm an idiot. Why did I ever decide to buy this product? And you know, it can, I don't know, it can negatively affect your ability to make future decisions. Also your just overall uh, self-esteem reading people just trashing on some decision you just made and, and it might be something menial like like a microphone or a headphone set because and at the end of the day those are small decisions that you have to make yeah and and you know i i think that that's one of the things that that we see in shops from time to time and and i know i have experienced this you know somebody will come in here and they'll have a service done they'll leave and I won't have done as good of a job as I should have with the explanation process, the documentation process. It happens, right? You get busy, you you drop the ball somewhere, and it never fails. That's the one that goes and shows their buddy, hey, look, I had this starter put on, and they charged me this. Well, it says it's starter. Yeah, yeah. I, I mean, is five hundred dollars not a good deal for a starter? I could have. You can call Advance Auto Parts. You can buy that thing for fifty dollars, <laughs> right? And and how many times have we had that thing happen? Or they go search online. Hey, somebody charged me this, and and you can easily build a a serious detractor from your organization mm-hmm. just by not providing the documentation and the information and and being an advocate for them. Right. Mm-hmm. And I, I think that's that's why it's so important that we shift our roles. And, you know, you, you were talking earlier about them not understanding a client, not understanding the technology in a vehicle. And I think that's something we're going to see more and more of, especially as they become more and more advanced. And, and like David said, there's some that are never going to care. Right. It's not going to bother them a bit. They just want it to run and drive and get them where they go. But at some point, we've got to get back to where people see the value in the trades, right? Um, I'll never forget Mike Rowe. He was speaking to Congress uh, at, at one point or another. And in this video where he's talking about it, he says, you know, I realized that I just put my check on the counter for the plumber to come pick up. I didn't think about what it was that he did. Um, you know, I had done this show dirty jobs. I recognized what the plumber was, but to me, it was just an amount. It had no other value besides that amount. My toilet works and I paid him and there's that. And that's always kind of stood out to me that we've become so disconnected and and we're not because we're tech people, right? We enjoy this. This is, this is our life. But so many clients have become disconnected from what it is that that makes the world go round, and they lose sight of that. They lose that perspective. And in a way, it's our responsibility as professionals to bring them back to earth in a way that they can understand, hey, listen, there's a reason it costs this much to fix your automobile. Mm-hmm. So is that what you're doing at the end of the day? You're, you're giving them justification in case somebody comes in and says, hey, um, why did you pay this much for that? And hey, if you sat down and had a, a sufficient conversation with them, explaining them why you were charging this, that, and the other, you know, at least they've got something to argue. Where if you don't give them anything, you know, they're gonna get they're gonna get uh, rolled over by the person questioning them. They're not gonna be able to say give an answer. It's gonna embarrass them. And they're going to feel foolish, walk away and go, maybe I did uh, get taken. 
and then you have the bad review. Yep. Yeah, absolutely. I, how many times have I said it before about my dad? Right. My dad always said in this business, the, the client will repeat what you told them. And and it can be good. It can be bad. How you told them, how you made them feel. It's all key. And and I, I kind of had that advantage coming from a business that was purely customer service. Right. That's all it was. The entire perspective of that business was to serve the client. So, you know, when we explain that service to our client. Here's why it's really important you do this. Here's how it can save you money down the road. Here's, you know, the warranty that comes with this. We're ensuring them, we're helping them make the right decision. And, and you know, I had an incident the other day within ASOG. And we were talking about charging appropriately. And this guy got super offended, got really upset, started posting nasty stuff, had to be mm-hmm. removed. And uh, he sends me this message. He said, I can't believe you would remove me over this. You're over here trying to convince people to, to operate like these big box stores. And, and you're trying to get them to charge like this. And you're trying to get them to charge for testing. And that's wrong. I'm like, dude, I think you've completely missed. You, you don't even understand where your value is. How can you educate your client on that value? Mm-hmm. We're not the industry we were 10 years ago. There's liability. There's there's things that you need to be preparing for. You need to be tooling for all these frustrations, all these things. And this guy continually talked about all these troubles he had in his shop. Right. And so much of it could be related back to that I and the attitude and the pers- <laughs> Yeah, exactly. It's like, dude, you're trying to, you know, I, I'm I'm not going to I'm not going to tell the whole story behind it, but Rick told me one time he said um and it's been years ago so my team listens to the podcast i'm not talking about any of you uh rick came to me one time and he said listen <laughs> you're trying to play an a game with c players and it don't work <laughs> you know like if you don't if you're not on the same playing field come on now that's so true yeah there's so many pieces that have to get fit together but i mean <clears throat> there is nowhere else there's no other industry that's doing what we're doing. Right. You know, yeah, you're a plumber, whatever. Like, I'm sorry, you do not need the same skills Heck no. <laughs> to, hang, to hang pipe than you do. Uh, yeah, but I wouldn't want to do it. <laughs> yeah, well, uh, there's see, also that, I see them picking those stitches on my pass. I know. I'll I fix know. your car. I, I, I always, don't want to do that. <laughs> I, I do think, you know, electricians, I've always had a lot of respect. I've always thought maybe I could have become an electrician. Um, but either way, it's just the amount of complexity that's on the car exceeds even, you know, our phones and computers and whatever. I mean, it's just, it's got everything on it and you have to, you can't outsource it. You got to fix it in person. A person has to do the work. Um, they have to get fixed. You know, this idea that we're going to have a car that doesn't need anything. I mean, that, (laughs) Uh, people who make cars will forever believe that that's the case and they're all, they'll always be wrong. Um, and so, you know, we have this really, and then you combine it with the fact that not only are we doing this really hard job <clears throat> and we have to do it, right? You can't do it. And there's no alternative, right? I'm sorry. You're going to have to work with the shop to get this right. done. Like, you, you know, this is just the way this works and you bought the car, you know, I didn't buy the car, you bought it. Um, so, uh, you know, there's, there's that. And then you're combining it with, um, the fact that just uh, repair shops have 
uh, you know, just they've, they've disappeared. It used to be that you would, you know, get your gas and there'd be somebody working on a car right there and you get to see right. them. And now it's just like, we're, we're invisible. And so <clears throat> all the, combine all these things together and yeah, I mean, we got to get the tax. We got to be able to pay them. We got to train them up. We got to have all those tools to work on these cars. I mean, there's just, there's a lot, it's getting a heck of a lot more expensive um, to do all of this. It, 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 the customer will eventually pay, but how do we, how do we as a industry or how do we as a community like evolve to be able to continue to um, set the expectations consistently for the customer on this and, and bring them forward. I don't think that anyone driving a Tesla <clears throat> doesn't think they're going to have to pay some money to fix that car. Right. Yeah. I, I really, I think they know that they're driving something sophisticated. Um, and so if we're saying with European cars, I don't, I don't think easier. they've put two and two together though. Mm. I, I think they're like, I have a friend who, who bought himself a, a model Y, I think is, that a, is what he got. He, I don't, and he owned a Subaru before, and it, you know he had to put some money into the Subaru for Subaru reasons. And, mm-hmm, yeah. I, and I, but he's looking at this Model Y, and he's like, "Oh, I just have to mess with tires and maybe some suspension." But you know, suspension can last a while—100,000 miles, maybe, uh, maybe brakes. But I don't think he understands the complexity in the systems, just monitoring everything, and you know, just working. The, the normal stuff that would be uh, on a car, he doesn't understand how sophisticated it is on a Tesla. And so he's going to get hit with that repair bill where it's out of warranty and, you know, they're having to fix some sensor on the back corner doing whatever. And he's going to get hit with a two, three, four thousand $4,000 bill and, and go, what the crap? I just needed my left blinker fixed. Yeah, well, well, that's right. controlled by this module and this water dripping on it, and this module now took this out and this out, and we got to program the whole thing. And also, this harness is bad too, and the entire thing was four thousand dollars. Sorry, <laughs> it's it's going to hit some people, and they're going to realize maybe this wasn't the best purchase because I could have bought a, a nice Honda Civic, and it has normal life. Although I don't know about the new ones, but. They used to have nice normal light bulbs that I could replace for three dollars. <laughs> you get to sort of what's the convenience, right? Why drive a complicated car? And we're kind of in this intermediate stage, right, where we've got ADAS and we've got a lot of these systems are pretty new, and um, we know we've got a ways to go and so forth. But once we once we achieve like the true self driving paradigm, where like a, a significant number of people using cars. Um, aren't driving that car. If you think about like that convenience, right, that's going to be incredible. Like that's going to, people are going to love that. They practically already do that because they're driving and looking at their phones, right? They're not even driving, (laughs) right? So we're already there. So you're just going to, you're just going to be honest with yourself when you get in the car and not touch the steering wheel. (laughs) Anyway, so, so that's going to be very exciting, and yet, when you think about that, that, you know, <laughs> I talk a lot about like we, the best technology that we have is, is the technology between our ears. The human mind is an amazing piece of technology. And, um, you know, we can drive a car and in the rain, you know, at night and eat a hamburger and sing the lyrics of the song. I mean, we can do this no problem. You give it to the machine, the machine has to do a ton of work to do the thing that we do 
so naturally uh, because of the, the, you know, the power of our brains. Um, and that means that that thing has to be super complicated. And if you think like a self-driving car is going to be lower maintenance than a non-self-driving car, are you out of your mind? Do you know the precision that that thing is going to have to have? I mean, like the idea that we're going to have less auto repair to do, it's just like, what auto repair are we going to be doing? We're going to have plenty of work. We're going to have oh, plenty yeah. of work. Um, and you know, then the customer, they may not own that car, maybe Lyft owns the car or something. But someone's going to have to pay for it to get fixed. <laughs> and, and we just have to be there um, and not look like jerks. Because We've had enough cars out on the market that are fairly sophisticated vehicles. I mean, you look, mm-hmm. I, I mentioned the Chevy Volt and the Bolt. Uh, you know, it's, there are 2011, 12s, 13s out there that have significant mileage on them. And if you've ever had to work on one, you know there's going to be plenty of work on these vehicles to do for forever. It doesn't matter how sophisticated they make them. Cause I mean, they're junk. And so <laughs> you start working on them and going, Hey, this is not well designed. Why would they do it like this? And, and you, you quickly realize we're never going to run out of work. I don't know why shop owners, like they get themselves worked up over, you know, the shift in technology thinking we're, we're not going to have jobs any longer or we're not going to have work or, you know, it's going to be spread out further. I don't see that to be the case at all. Mm-hmm. And I think it's a really great industry in terms of, you know, future because of all those things you just said. I mean, you look at truck drivers or taxi drivers or whatever, like those folks are the elevator operators. They're going to go away here real soon. Um, but you're still going to need someone to fix it. And Very you know, true. self-driving cars aren't going to be self-fixing cars. And so we're in really good shape. I think we're in really good shape. We got to figure out how to fix them, of course. But, you know, we'll get there. We well, always and, do that. And and here's the thing is, is you bring up such a sensitive topic. And I would have never thought that it would be this sensitive. Right? But it has been so sensitive for shop owners in ASOC. And it's been the self-driving car and the electric car. It's going to put us out of business. No, if we start training for it now, and if we start equipping ourselves slowly, right? Because I, I, I think that there is, is such thing of over-equipping too early and not knowing what you really need. But I think if we begin to prepare for this and start training for this now, this shouldn't be a problem. It shouldn't be a concern. This should be, we're following the market where the market is going. Mm-hmm. Yet we're acting like it's the end of the world. And people keep saying this is the end of the industry. And, and you know, look, I'm going to tell you, I, I saw a post the other night and they said, you guys are talking about this, this, and this being the end of the industry. I think crappy parts are going to be the end of the industry before any of that is the case, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, and, and so I think it, I think it warrants more discussion on this, especially when we come to tooling and talk about what's going to change, you know, education, you both know that education is a big deal for me. We've got an apprentice Mm -hmm. in the shop. We work closely with the high school and the community college in the area. I've got friends in education in in multiple different areas. And, you know, I was talking to them about it and the local high school instructor said, you know, he said, you're right. He said, we do need to begin to get students prepared for the electric cars and what's coming down the road. You know, it's going to be five, six, 10 years before they're a fully functioning technician in the field, this stuff is going to be something they're starting to see more and more of. 
He said, you know, the only thing I can say about it is maybe we should stop teaching them about how to rebuild alternators and starters and carburetors, and we should stop building hot rods in shop class trying to get them interested. Maybe we should talk about the technology they're going to see. Mm. And, you know, I I think there's an advantage of doing some of that in in class now, right? Because kids love hot rods and diesel trucks. I get it. I love stuff like that, too. But there's so much of a focus on what was the automotive technology, not what is going to be the automotive mm-hmm. technology that we're working on. So I think there's got to be a shift in the way we educate, the way we train, the way we tool our shops. We need to be preparing for that now. I think the the concern is who's the instructor. Like the instructor right. knows knows how to build a hot rod. Does the instructor right. know how to fix a an electric car? Um, and we don't have a lot of electric training right now. I was thinking right. about this too. This is the guy that <clears throat> taught me everything is Jack Rosebro. He, you know, used to do uh, aftermarket training, and then he went to go work for Toyota, and he's now, you know, part of their organization. And, and so, obviously, he can't train in the aftermarket. And we we need to get some more folks who, I mean, Seth Thorson is, is doing a lot of this um, right now. And I, you know, he's definitely a, a guy to watch, but you know, the, all of the fear, right. is just coming out of the unknown. And to your point, right. Lucas, if we can just make it known that it's not going to be big an issue uh, as much, at least. I, I do think though, that the, that gentleman that you mentioned, <clears throat> it's like, you know, thou doth protest too much. It's like, this is getting, is your, 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 your level of passion for this is like actually revealing <laughs> that you, that you, that you know something about this and you're unwilling to admit it. Um, and I don't know if that's because the shops that are concerned about this technology, just, they don't want to learn the new technology or, or what? I don't, I don't, there's really no difference, right? Between learning how to fix anything new whether it's an electric car or just a a new car that rolls into your bay. Well, I mean, here's the thing though, right? And, and I want to say this with a grain of salt. So nobody, you know, send me the death threats and everything else. It's cool. I'm not talking about you. I promise. Send them to me. I'll forward them to them. (laughs) Um, You know, look, I, I think a large majority of shop owners, are really waiting for somebody to come write them a check so they can walk away from it. They're, they're writing this out. And mm-hmm. I, I think a lot of them are, you know, and, and I don't think it's a lot of our crew that we're all friends with or that listen to this podcast, but you know, I can name five or six shops in my town right now that if somebody walked in and handed them a check, they'd be like, I'm out, I'm good. Right. And those shops are not interested in progressing with the technology. The ones kind of like you said, the ones that are talking about it are the ones that should be thinking this through. And maybe we should be working on that through the podcast, through other means to help provide them that pathway of how do we get the training? Where do we go next? Here's what it's going to look like. Here's what you need to be thinking about. But I I think there's a lot of shops that are trying to to find the out. Now we were in another podcast and, and maybe it was you, David, that said it, maybe it was Dutch. I can't remember where we were talking about technology that's changing and 
um, and some of the things coming our way through NASTIF and, and programming the, the issues that we're inevitably going to see. And they said, yeah, but you know, most of these big box stores, they don't really care, right? They're going to fix what they can fix. They're going to ship it down the road. There's always another customer. There's always another dollar. We've got to differentiate ourselves from those shops. We've got to make ourselves something different than them, in my opinion. Do you ever think it'll it'll get to the point though where that becomes that becomes the money maker? Because I think that you know Carolyn's talking about paradigm shifts. I think that has to be the biggest paradigm shift where the the money isn't in hanging brakes or swapping control arms. The money's in the diag. The money's in knowing how these systems work and being able to diagnose a faulty module and and being able to program it properly and being able to get it to do what it's supposed to do. That isn't the case right now. The money is in, you know, swapping gaskets and, you know, doing water pumps and lower skill work. If we ever shift to the point where all of the money is in the the more complicated side of the industry, you know, everybody will will sort of shift that way. And then we'll get flooded with a whole bunch of people. So I guess it, it, it comes down to deciding whether you want to be ahead of the curve. Does that make sense? Like if you're going to be, if, yeah. if this is the way the industry is going, you want to position yourself there now, because when everybody decides to head in that direction, you'll already be there. Like, hey, come on, come and join the party. Oh, by mm-hmm. the way, I'm the number one player in this area for, for that. Mm-hmm. So and you guys are all going to be playing catch up now, but I don't know. It's it's sticking your head your neck out in a yeah. in a way. Well, also the, the the sooner you take that market share, and you start, you know, driving that, you're going to have more expertise. You're going to be able to do it more efficiently than whoever follows you, right? Presumably, yeah. you already have an advantage. Like I, I I say, like if you want to open a hybrid shop down the street from me, you go right ahead. Go. Good luck. Um, because we've got this thing dialed <laughs> so well, yeah. uh, it, it, you're never going to be able to catch up to us in terms of expertise, <laughs> in terms of, you know, what we're stocking, the whole thing, how we, how we do the thing, how we make the sausage. Right. And, um, you know, if you're that leader for diagnostics and whatever, you know, the calibrations, et cetera, in your area, you're going to have an advantage when there's more of it for sure. So I don't, there's no reason not to be sort of being a, um, you know, intellectually uh, led company, right? Like, why would you not put your expertise lonely, that's at, the, why. at the front of your business? <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's, I, I've been thinking about this. I've been, maybe you guys have, have a point of view. I've, I've been starting to noodle, noodle on this, which is that we've got new techs, right? Folks that I, I mean, I've, I'm speaking in my own shop here people who have one, two, three years in the business came out of trade school. And then you have the, the, you know, journey senior master tech. And of those, we have the folks that are, um, you know, definitely head of the class that are participating on diagnostic network are at the front of the, you know, classrooms training. You know, these are the guys that really are excellent at, at fixing cars. And how do you, as a, as a, you know, early, entrant to the community, get yourself from where you are now to up to that level. And there's this big 
gap, right, between early training and the really, really excellent training, what order of right. operations, which which class should you take it? Where am I in my journey? Like, do, do we expect people to sort of figure it out on their own? And um, I think Very you can true. do a better job, like just being like, okay, you know, some diagnostics, like let's take it next level with with uh, with voltmeters and stuff like that. It's just not enough of a map of a blueprint for people to go from early days to that that level of um, capacity that we know we all want to need in our shops I, in the future. I'm telling you, you're speaking to the choir because, you know, that's one of the things that, you know, I made this mandate in my shop. We're going to do a hundred hours a year of training. Mm-hmm. Um, and then COVID obviously. Um, and, mm-hmm. and we've still done a lot, but, but man, I'm telling you, that is a really tough thing to do because it's hard for you as a shop owner to judge where they're at, right? That roadmap is difficult for you to pinpoint where are they, you know, yeah, you can look at what they're extremely capable in. Well, do I need to focus in that area? Do I need to, to focus in something they're not as competent in? What's the game plan, right? And and that's something that I have personally struggled with. How am I going to balance this? You know, I Every, everybody's train. different though. I, I guess that, that's sort of like, that's what you get stuck. I, that's where I get stuck. I, because you have some that are like, they're voracious learners and they get excited about the new technology and that's what they want to learn lots about. And so I, I've got one tech I can throw a ton of training at. And like he's not that interested in flashing because it seems boring to him. Like, you know, I'm just typing some stuff into a computer and it's like, yeah, who cares? But, you know, you get him up with a lab scope, he wants to lab scope everything. He wants to get out every single piece of, of uh, or he wants to capture a waveform on absolutely everything on the car because he finds it interesting and he wants to be able to analyze the, the pattern. Where I have some technicians that'll take the, the training, they'll go, but that guy's not that interested. I mean, he, mechanically, uh, he's fantastic he can understand systems and and how things work by just looking at them which i find fascinating but you know he's not excited about the newer the newer technologies it's like whatever just tell me what i need to fix and i'll fix it and that's it so and you know and how do you bridge that gap because i think that is it's like the the fat part of the bell curve is full of you know for lack of better uh, word normies they're just yeah, I just fix cars. It's whatever. But then you have the the ones that are like very knowledgeable, senior techs. They understand that they have to keep up with technology. And then you have the newer ones coming into the industry that want to get up to speed as fast as possible. And then you got everybody in the middle. And the ones in the middle are the ones doing most of the work. And they need to learn some of this newer stuff, but they're just not excited about it. I mean, how, how do you push that? Yeah, the profile of the person fixing the car is... Uh... It's such an interesting, I think that what you're describing um, is definitely true and, and something that has a, like a, a, a legacy from where we've come from in terms of the cars that we were fixing. Um, that being said, just like thinking about my market here, I don't see a lot of the, like, I would love to have five normies working in my shop right now. I can't hire them. They're nowhere. I mean, they're just not around. Really? Yeah, so I we have to hire everybody out of San Francisco? Is that what you're telling me? Well, you already have. This is the short answer. You already, you already took them all. Um, and, 
And so, and it's because <laughs> it's expensive to live here. Okay. It's because it's expensive and normies don't make a lot of money. Um, yeah. So, well, yeah, I, I, I don't know. I mean, the, it just depends in the, uh, the environment that they're in because you, they can go to certain shops and they can, they can, yeah, well, you true. know, I, I guess not San Francisco money, but you know, you make a hundred thousand dollars here in Kansas city. You're, you're making a pretty good living. Hell at $50,000, you're making a pretty good living. Um, and so it, it doesn't take that much and, uh, a quote unquote normie can go into a Firestone and bang out 70 hours of suspension work every single week and, and make a pretty good living. But th- that doesn't push them to, it, it, it doesn't push them to, to learn the newer technology, or at least to shift their focus to some of the newer stuff that they need to know they're going to need to know in 10 years. And they, they see no, no need for it. My paychecks are pretty good. What am I going to bother having to learn all these newer systems for? I don't see them in my shop. I'm likely never going to see them in my shop because who knows what's going what what a Firestone or an NTB or a Big O is going to look like in ten years, um, or m- maybe fifteen twenty years. Um, so what's their incentive to to go after training? I mean, how how do you push your guys? I mean. It, I guess it's easier for Lucas to say, Hey, this is what we're going to require. And if you don't want to do it, you can't work here. But I I don't know. I don't have the answer. (laughs) I don't know what to do. What's your take on like, um, subsets of skill, which kind of is a segue to a remote diagnostician versus having to have that person in house. Like, like is the, is the person, the laborer who's in the business just R and R in parts and just like following instructions, just hooking up the scan tool. Um, or yeah. are they, do you want to have people who have a whole range of skills? Like I've always been a strong believer that um, as a technician, your goal is to have the full spectrum of skills. You want to know the diagnostics. You want to know the R and R you ideally you can do everything. Not but you're, you're you, like, you you're so it. not the normal tech though. But just look at dealership techs. I've hired dealership techs, and I, I remember the Ford guy I hired, and the guy knew Fords, and I remember his face when I gave him a Dodge. And it, and I mean, this was like it was simple, like electrical diagnosis, and he's like, uh, "Okay." I mean, he, he was he was mortified. He didn't he didn't know what to do, and I'm like, "Dude, it's just." it's a car's a car and he's like yeah but the last 25 years he's been working on the same kind of car and that's just what he's gotten used to and he didn't push himself to learn every kind of car and every kind of system and be able to say i can translate my skills as a ford technician into you know at two mercedes or toyota or whatever because a car is a car i think most dealership technicians end up that way mm-hmm. at least the ones i've met the ones I've talked to end up that way. They see, this is what I'm used to. I, I understand the system. I, I'll give you another example. I interviewed a Nissan diagnostician. This guy was the the guy that diagnosed every problem Nissan. And I'm talking like brand spanking new, very little information. They haven't right. even encountered problems on the car because they haven't sold that many. And so when they run into a problem, that's the guy who who does the diagnosis. And so 
we're having a conversation. I'm looking to bring him on board. He wants a lot of money. I'm interested. We're, we're talking and I bring up different vehicles and he's like, man, I'll be honest with you. I, you know, I can, I can do Asian. I don't, I'm not that comfortable with GM Ford and I, I just can't do Euro. That's going to be a sticking point for me. If you're going to have me working on Euro, I'm, I'm just, I'm, I'm not going to be able to take the job. Their top, I can't stress this enough. The top diagnostician in this area for Nissan Infinity was afraid of taking on a, a Benz. And I, I think that that ends up short, short, short change them. But at the end of the day, like the guy was making a lot of money. He didn't need to learn Benz. He didn't see a need for it. And and so like, what do you do? And, and to answer your question directly, uh, Carolyn, we had, um, we had Brandon Dills on, who's a mobile diagnostician, and we told him he was ruining the industry. And then we also had, um, uh, who, who was it that we had on? For Kevin. The technology? Kevin. Jeez. Kevin, my boy, Kevin. I love Kevin. Ke- Kevin has a special <laughs> place in my heart. <laughs> we won't say why. Now, he, uh, the same thing is we, uh, we pressed him a little bit, but it wasn't even him. I think it was, uh, it was Chris Chesney. Yeah, who, it was who I, I, yeah, we were pressing him. I'm like, isn't technology as a service ruining the industry? Because just like you're saying, Carolyn, instead of uh, well-rounded technicians, we have guys that can do R&R work and can't like can't function or muddle their way through a scanner. And so they have to hit that support button every single time they hook up a, a car to be able to figure out what kind of testing they need to do and to just go through the logical pathway in order to determine what testing is going to be required for them to come to the conclusion to determine what the hell the problem is. And that skill set is being stymied in a way by having mobile diagnosticians and technologies to service. But, you know, they, they, they had good answers as to why that's not the case. Uh, and I was, they were at least convincing to me. Uh, but the problem, the bigger problem, I think, is, is the actual technician because they're not curious like you, you are, it's obvious that, that you are, you just want to know because, you know, it's exciting to learn new things. There are a lot of technicians that don't, aren't like that. That's why I call them normies. So it's like, they don't care. Like, yeah, what's my paycheck going to look like? Otherwise, you know, do I need to learn that or am I going to get fired? And that's almost the, I don't know. That's almost the mindset that you cultivate with training requirements is that is are you going to training because you're excited to learn something new or are you going to training because i'm going to fire you if you don't show up like which one is it? right and if you say well that's fine i'm just not going to hire the person that says i'm just showing up because you'll fire me otherwise you're going to end up you know people are already complaining about a shortage in technicians we just made the pool even smaller so now mm-hmm. we're going to need to ask them about training. And if they don't give the right answer, we're not going to hire them. They'll catch on and start lying. We're like, oh, yeah, I love going to training. It's going to be exciting for me. But they don't want to go. So well, what do you do? It's exciting then, right? Like if they don't like the training and it doesn't seem valuable, how do you, that's, that's not necessarily their fault. It's, you know, it's, it's, it's like, you know, Steve Jobs and the, the product thing. If someone doesn't like your product, that's your fault. Uh, right. Their fault. right. <laughs> and I yeah. think about that. That's a fantastic <laughs> point. Yeah. That's a fantastic um, point. But like you see these trainers, you know, I I've been harping on this for a while, but the, some of these trainers market their, their product because at the end of the day, they're selling a product, right? And it, it, they're, they're, they're approaching the product as though like, you know, 
you should be excited about this. It's almost assumptive. Like, hey, we're doing training on, you know, evaporative emissions problems on Toyotas. A fantastic skill to have because it's a Toyota and so it's going to be throwing 440, 442, and 446 codes because that's what they do. And so (laughs) you should have the skills to diagnose that quickly and efficiently. But they almost, they, they market themselves as though, hey, we're doing a class on this. It'd be great if you join. And then it, it like, they don't get them excited about what they're going to be able to do with that knowledge. And then the, even the information, like it's, you have to be really careful about what training, at least like for me, I could spend a lot of money on training, but I have to be really careful because if I, if I send my guys to just anything, you know, 50, 60, 70% of it is just wasted because the, the trainer didn't bring their a game. Like they didn't come engaged and I'm going to make sure that these technicians leave out of here, just juiced up and hella excited about diagnosing evaporative emissions control problems on Toyotas. They don't take that approach to it. They just, they're like, Hey, here's some information. Hope you like it. And then that's it. And it's boring. And if you, especially if you don't have the right instructor, it's even, it's even worse. And forget it if the instructor is associated to a vendor. You can just forget that noise. Yeah. The guy is not, he doesn't care. And, you know, and mm-hmm. it's not, I shouldn't say it that way. He's not like super excited and passionate about the information. But, it, you know, you buy, I don't know, you buy a marketing course or, you know, consultation course or just some of these guys that, they, not only do they have to sell you on the product, they then have to deliver and they have to get you excited because a lot of times they'll just give you your money back if you don't, but they have to get you excited and engaged in the information so that you act on it. Trainers don't take that approach to it. I, I don't know why. Well, maybe they just don't know, but if they did, maybe some of these technicians would, you know, come, come excited to learn something new. I'm done with my rant, by the way. how do we we make how do we make technician training more sexy you know what what do we need to do yes to to get people jazzed up i mean and this this is this is true for all education um you know even our education system we've started to to, you know there's all these people who just are not excited to go to school it's like well we need you to go to school because if you don't you're going to be a burden to society (laughs) so we need you to go um anyway yeah, and I think, you know, some trainers are doing it better than others. I mean, I, I am a fan of the market. I do believe that, you know, the, the good trainers get, you know, are more successful and presumably they start putting some heat on the other trainers uh, to up their game. Well, but it, isn't, it isn't even just the delivery of the training material because there are some some really good trainers out there. And they're engaging, they're engaging, but not because they're, they're, that's their personality. They're engaging because they're knowledgeable and you're interested in the information. Like, for example, I can pull up like an ATS video and listen to Brian Steckler just rattle on about how he poked this thing and this is what we can see on the scope. And because I'm fascinated by the information and the guy knows mm-hmm. his stuff, right? But it's not the same as, you know, you see some of these like industry coaches. There are a few that are very charismatic. They, you know, they get you excited about buying their product. They get you excited about learning the stuff. They, I've heard stories and some of these guys deliver 
like online modules. So you buy their expensive course and then you get online and you can watch their videos. And I've heard of shop owners will sit down and watch hours upon hours of videos because the, the way the guy delivers the information gets you excited to move on to the next piece of information. Does that make sense? And, and so he, that type of training, you don't see that in technical training. You don't see that style at all in technical training. It just, it, if the guy knows the stuff and you're interested in the information, you'll be engaged, but otherwise, eh. but you see these shop owners, you know, they're getting engaged in the information on store operations and sales and numbers and this, that, and the other, and how to, you know, how to interpret a P and L and that kind of thing. Information that they weren't that interested in before, but this guy got them engaged. They mm-hmm. bought the course and now they're eating it all up. And not only that, they're getting online just talking about how it's the greatest thing since sliced bread, getting other people to buy it. M- mostly all organic. Mm-hmm. You don't see that in the tech in the technician world. Like when was the last time you saw a technician just get online in one of the technician forums just talking about how this piece of training was the greatest thing they've ever, it was life-changing, greatest thing they've ever experienced. Everybody needs to take this course. I just couldn't stop watching. It was, I needed to go to the next video and the next video and the next video. You never see that. It doesn't happen. That, that, Hey, listen, I'm going to tell you something that happens with scanner Danner's videos all the time. That happens with Paul Danner's videos all the time. And, and, you know, I, I think some of this goes back even further. And there was a guy, uh, he, he passed away recently, Ken Robinson. Um, and he did some Ted talks and there were some RSA animate videos, um, where he taught changing education paradigms. And it was so enlightening to hear the way that he talks about education because so often, um, you know, as shop owners, I think we have to become educators in a way, right? Mm -hmm. We're leading our team. We have to understand how education works because we have to get our team trained. We have to make sure that we're giving them the information and, and to those of you, and, and I struggle with this, I, you're not alone, I promise. Um, when you try and implement training, it can be tough, right? It's not just as simple as saying, hey, we're going to training. Woohoo. No, it doesn't work that way. And it needs planning. It needs um, processes and policies for how you operate the training program. And, you know, when I listen to, to Ken Robinson talk about education as a whole, and how do we educate and, and the perspectives that educators have today and how education's changed. You know, one of the things he said, and it doesn't really apply here, but he, he said, you know, it's like we educate children on a timeline that is strictly, you know, it's an assembly line strictly based on the date of manufacture. I thought, wow, that's a, you know, he's like, it doesn't, it doesn't focus on one discipline. You know, this child's better at this discipline than this one. And, and that really spoke to me. And, and so I began to look at more and more of what he was talking about, the things he was doing, the lectures he was giving. And he was really talking more about how we educate, right? Yeah. How does a human being learn? Man, that is a deep topic. It, mm-hmm. uh, it's an intense topic too, because really quickly, and, and, you know, I'll share a little story here. I, um, and I want to be careful about what I say, um, we have got a young man who works with us who um, has some specific disabilities. And 
as a leader of the shop, I have struggled to find how to help him appropriately, if that makes sense. The guy is brilliant. I mean, extremely smart, extremely capable. He can recite a textbook from you from five years ago. So I was talking to a friend who who knows a lot about this subject, and he said, listen, there's a certain way this person learns, and there's a certain way that this person needs to be led and managed in your business. Let me give you some pointers. And it was a night and day difference. Mm. Now, this is a very special situation, right? There's a disability that causes this, and, and I understand that that's not with everybody, but I think there is so much of that that can be done with each person, their personality. How do they learn? How do we teach them? How do they need to be led? Because we're not all the same. We're all very different, you know, and I I think it's something that you've got to take into account when you're when you're looking at something like this. I mean, a lot of people who are in auto repair were not told that they were they were bright. You know, they weren't given a lot of encouragement um, to be learners necessarily. And so, you know, the questions of those normies, how many of those people aren't seeking education because they just haven't like, they haven't had good education before, uh, or is it just not their ball? You know, they're, 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 their cup of tea. And, you know, you can't really tell one way or the other. I am a big proponent of specialization, obviously. And so I think, you know, the discussion about that Nissan tech, um, who has, that specialty is great. My concern is always not necessarily that you've got you've got one make or one model, even in my case, that you that you know inside and out. I was actually told that that's always how you have to start. You have to learn one car, tip to tail, um, so that you can apply that knowledge to the other cars you work on. Um, but if you don't, if you only have a certain area of that car that you are capable of working on, then that's the only area you're going to focus, right? You, it's like the the old adage, if all you have is a hammer, then every problem is a nail. And you're not gonna you're not gonna serve that car as a whole machine, right? That's interconnected. Um, if you're only doing one part of it, so that's in that blindness, I think not knowing what we don't know inevitably leads leads to misdiagnosis and just poor service for the customer. So knowing the whole car, I think, is really important. But um, in terms of those folks who just don't want to seek training, I, I wonder. I wonder if what we need to do first is to get them excited about learning and then yeah. figure out what the learning is going to be later. Well, you know, it's really interesting you say that because I was sitting here thinking about my journey or my experience with that. Um, you know, I've always been a bullheaded guy, right? I've always been somebody who's, um, you know, going to make my own way and I'll just figure it out myself. That's just how I do things. Mm-hmm. And, you know, that first experience, you know, years ago when I started watching those Scanner Danner videos, man, like I, I realized, hey, I don't have to, I don't have to reinvent the wheel here. Right. And, and it's helped me in so many different ways. It was kind of like an epiphany, right? It was, I woke up and realized, oh my gosh, other people have gone before me. I can, I can. Mm-hmm glean information from this and this and this, and I can put it all together and I can make this work and it's not hard. And, and, you know, one example I'll use is with you and shopware, you know, you, you changed our entire operation, not necessarily with shopware, but I got to spend a little bit of time, me and you and Rick spent some time together 
talking about how you envision shopware working. Like what was the thought process and how did you think this would work and this would work? And I'm like, wow, I had never thought of that like that. And I had never, that that's amazing. Right. And I think as shop owners and technicians, we are already so ready to just lock up and say, nope, mm -mm, I'm doing it my way. And, and every other software that I had implemented in my shop, I had implemented my way. And I was so frustrated and I fought the system constantly because I was trying to make it do it the way I wanted it to be done instead of understanding why it was doing it the way it was doing it. And I think training can go back to that same kind of concept. If we can get them excited about the process, excited about making things easier for themselves, if we can just give them one taste that they'll actually accept of that growth, that's all it takes in my mind. It's, it's mm. that first step. You know, there's, it's, it's hard because on the one hand, you have to be incredibly stubborn to think you can fix cars and make money doing it. Like it's just, <laughs> it's just, Amen. you know what I mean? Like we, we have to be this way in order to show up for work and to push through the cars every day and, right. and deal with all the attendant, you know, BS. Um, but then we're, how do we also look in the mirror and not be stubborn with ourselves on what yeah. we need to do to grow, regardless of what that is, right? Personal learning or what have you. And, uh, and I think that's where the adaptation, the, the fact that we as a business, as an, uh, as an industry needs to evolve and we're going to have to change. Like, how do we, how do we get comfortable with change? It's, it's, so I, was, I was reading a book. It's called Seven and a Half Lessons About the Brain. It was talking about um, lots of different things. Interesting book. Any one of the things that um, the author describes is how uh, if you do not um, present yourself with, with new things and challenges, you will, your brain will just stop growing. Like it, it actually, um, it, like your ability to... Um, not just think, but I, it's like, there's this self-fulfilling prophecy where like, for example, evolutionarily, like we are predisposed to minimize how much we think because thinking is expensive. You spend a lot of energy running that brain. And so the, the extent to which the brain can just make the assumption, do the thing, you don't try to and challenge yourself, etc. That's actually how it's designed. Like it doesn't want you <laughs> to have to, to do all that extra work. And as a result, your your brain um, capacity just diminishes. Like if you don't challenge yourself, knowing that you are wired that way, and you don't, you know, for example, hang out with people that look different from you, you're gonna you're not gonna be able to um, you know necessarily operate in a in a diverse environment. Like you have to basically take yourself out of your comfort zone um, in order to continue to um, be more comfortable being outside of your comfort zone. And so this this like cycle of where we we already know what we want to do, we just want to stay there. If we can break out of that and um, and obviously challenge ourselves and continue to learn, then it makes um, all this other learning because obviously we don't have like a caloric crisis. We have enough energy in our lives to be able to feed our brains to continue to learn. Um, so you don't have right. to be so concerned about that anymore. 
Um, but that's not necessarily how we're, you know, we, we haven't adapted to that yet. It's going to take a long time for us to, to be that way. But anyway, so the learning is actually really hard and we have to do it and you have to challenge yourself to think about new things um, just in order to, to stay sharp. Um, I don't know. I, a lot of people have like negative um, opinions of mechanics and, you know, we're talking about the normies and kind of like a, a pejorative way and and I, again, that's again why I'm trying to like challenge our assumptions around this is like, you know, are we the problem necessarily and not, and not them or I, is it even of them? Because I'm certainly guilty of, of plenty of this myself. And, um, you know, like, uh, I've got several thems at my shop. What, trust what's me, they're, the they're there. Versus, yeah. yeah. <laughs> well, I, you know, well, then what's your, what's your take? Is it, is it a, hey, normie number one? You're smart. You're a smart guy or gal. Like that thing you did today was awesome. Great job. Um, you know, I'm just trying to like get that person to get excited about, you know, personal development, I guess. Yeah, I should probably start by not berating them with insults yeah. every day. <laughs> Let's just start there. <laughs> Maybe I'm not a good example. Lucas, how do you deal with your people? <laughs> well, and and you know, <laughs> Maybe this all comes back to a simple thought process, right? And and talking about it and getting the conversation started and and educating on education as a whole, right? And talk about that development and and base this in their goals. Mm-hmm. Um and and begin to say, look, this is how we accomplish your dreams, your, your vision of what your life is going to be. You have these great big visions and dreams and they're so great. Let's talk about how we get there, right? Let's talk about the path we take to accomplish that. And let's talk about this growth as an automotive technician, because you were extremely talented. You have tons of ability. Let's talk about this growth as the vehicle that accomplishes it. Mm-hmm. And I, I think that if we can at least get started on a dialogue with our people and, and look, I've got guys in the shop and we were talking about this just the other day um, that have struggled through this pandemic because typically, you know, a, we're a really social shop. We always get out, we have a good time. We go to these trainings, mm-hmm. but we go out and we talk to other technicians and we talk to other shop owners and we talk to other service advisors and, and through helping other people and them talking about the things that they face and us talking about what we face, we begin to break down some of those barriers in regards to education because we start to see that there's other ways to do things. There's other thought processes. There's another, uh, you know, something outside of our world that we had not considered yet. And I think so many shop owners, you know, and, and maybe the majority, I, I, you know, we talked about statistics. They said less than 10% of all automotive service professionals train at all, less than 10%. And so I think so many shop owners are kind of locked in their own little world. And, and I remember being there at one point and all it takes is a little bit of an introduction. You know, people ask all the time, like, what, what's the vision for ASOG? What, what's, you know, I know you guys are trying to help shop owners and you're trying to improve the industry through helping shop owners. The real vision at the end of the day is expose them to something they hadn't thought about yet. Mm -hmm. Expose them to 
uh, a little bit of education, a little bit of training, the podcast where we talk about something different than they had been thinking about, right? Outside the box of normal for them to make them think, to wake okay. their brains up, to, to ignite a, a tiny little ember of a flame to, to start the process because that's all it took for me was just somebody to wake it up. And then it happened on its own because I got hungry for the knowledge. Mm-hmm. Mm. You know, once see, you realize think... like, go ahead, go ahead, go ahead, David, sorry. Mm-mm. Well, I, he, he brought up the, the uh, going out to training. I, you know, I, I sort of miss that component of it because I think part of what gets you engaged in the, in the industry, part of what gets you engaged in, running a shop is networking and, you know, having other people around you that can relate to what you're going through and will help push you to better yourself. Because I think it does end up being at the end of the day, or at least speaks to that, that core fundamental need to be uh, socially accepted and to have your, your ego stroked in a sense that yeah, you're you're successful at X, Y, and Z. Does does that make sense? And so, I, I don't know. I've mentioned this before on the podcast, but I have never uh, I have never interviewed a a technician here in Kansas City that they themselves have gone to Vision. Hmm. And Vision is in Kansas City. That you know, it's just a short drive down to Overland Park to get to the convention center. And out of the dozens and dozens of shop or technicians I've interviewed, not a one has said to me, yeah, I go to Vision every year. Or, yeah, my shop that I'm at right now sends me to Vision. Not a one. And so I, I think that's definitely part of it. You, If you get them engaged in the industry, get them engaged in training and meeting other technicians and meeting the trainers and talking to other industry professionals, I, I think all of a sudden they'll, they're – their mind will shift. It's not going to training because my boss is making me. And if I don't go, I'll get fired. It's I'm going to training to better myself, to push myself harder, to get better than the guy I met last week at the other training event. Does that make sense? Like all of a sudden you're just, you're, you're engaged and that pushes you to get better. Yeah. I would, and I would argue that, you know, hanging brakes and changing control arms is boring. You know, yeah, you do it, but like at some point you got to get bored and, and having something else that you get to learn and, and think about, even if it's not rolling into your bay just yet, um, be a nice vacation. But I agree with you, David. I think um, I was thinking as you were talking whether we should try and put together like a, a technician. Like I was thinking to myself, you know, David, maybe you just need a booth at, uh, at Vision at the expo. And then when techs walk by, you go, hi, I'm hiring. Here's my, here's my shop. <laughs> and uh, uh, there's a lot of techs that walk through that expo. I mean, there's a lot but of the, the, none of them are, are from Kansas City. That's what's yeah. messed up. They're so all from out of town. Them. You don't think they yeah, do? Yeah, right? I'm telling you, I've, I've never met a technician, not a one, that had told me. Most of them had no idea what was going on. They and the ones I've had a few, just like a small handful, that even knew what I was talking about when I said vision, and they thought it was just a tool expo. That the right. tool guy and the tool guys could hand out tickets to go to the tool expo, but that's all they thought it was. The the few mm-hmm. that actually went, the rest of them had no idea that it was a training event. It was you know one of the most prestigious in the country, and that the very best trainers in the entire country show up there. 
to to put on this fantastic show. No idea. You know, I, I it makes me it makes me think that we need um and we've talked about this before and I I don't want to beat up on the associations. But do you think that that ASE and the, you know, shop owners associations and these organizations should be doing a better job in regards to this? Do you think they should be reaching out and, and actually reaching these? Because right now they, they reach primarily shop owners in a lot of ways. Whose responsibility is it? I mean, because we've talked about this over and over again. These organizations, for instance, one of the big things they say they want to fix is the technician shortage. Okay, great. What are you doing to fix it? Uh, well, um, we're doing stuff and stuff. Right. Yeah. Okay. Great. We're educating oh, them and we're nobody doing anything about it. What well, um and it should be it should be ASE, you would think. Well, you know, but, just, I mean, just from the very fact that they're AAC certified, they're engaged to a certain sense, so why not exploit that? Well, I mean, I guess I guess my point is 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 you know, Carolyn, you may not have heard this yet, but David always talks about this thing, and he's like, you know, some shop owners don't care; they're just they just want the boat, right? They just want to buy the uh, boat. That's their I want only a boat interest. Too. I want a boat too. <laughs> Listen, you can't swim. Proverbial boat. I, I don't really want a boat. <laughs> but you know, so so is that a uh, reflection of the fact that shop owners are not encouraging their techs? to participate and do this training is it you know what is it that that we can do as an industry through these organizations we all work with what can we do to improve it i mean you know i, I talk to people all the time and i'm like hey you know i would really like to be part of improving our industry through asog or through this or through that and they're like yeah yeah great let's improve it and everybody talks about what the problems are, but what are the solutions? Like, how do we fix this? How do we get them engaged in training like we've been talking about all night? I mean, does it start with those organizations becoming more active with the technicians? I mean, the, so I'm super involved in um, ASCCA, which is the, you know, um, Automotive Service Councils of California, which is a shop owners group. And, you know, they, they like every other group have been struggling with diminishing membership. So I don't even think that in an AS, ASE also has diminishing membership. Um, so I don't know that these groups necessarily have the audience. Um, right. That being said, I think that the marketing, like the marketing that's happening within our industry to each other, like there is so much training and yet technicians don't even know that it's there. I mean, it's like your point. Like they're yep. being told exactly to my so point. They don't, they don't know people don't market their stupid classes. That's right. So I think the communication piece, if we solve the communication, which just gets me back to this idea, if we could figure out how to give folks like a roadmap or a resource list for how they get from where they are now from where they want to be, um, if they could have had a path to follow. Uh, they might be a little, they'd be, be better able to self-serve. But um, yeah, no, I mean, it, it, that's just a marketing question. The good news is we have a lot of expert marketers in our, yep. in our space. We just got to, we got to apply them to the problem. Absolutely. Maybe, and it, it's most, it's probably because the, there's not enough money there. Like it's, what about the it's, tool it's, trucks? Like, you know, like those guys know the techs. Why are those yeah. guys talking about the training? 
Well, I mean, but but in the same respect, I mean, look, and I, I'm going to say this with a grain of salt, you know, our latest tool truck driver has never turned a wrench, doesn't even know what a wrench is. Oh, um, wow. You know, he brings in the kits for the tools and he's like, here, can you guys fix this for me? I'll pick that up. It's for another client. Um, you know, I, I know the head's blown out of that ratchet. Look, I'll give you $10 if you can put a new one in it for me. Oh, um, God. And, and, you know. <laughs> He, he was a bread truck driver, right? This isn't, you know, they're selling to them saying, hey, look, there's this great opportunity to own your own business. It's self-sustaining. It's, you know, um, and and I think that as a whole, you know, maybe maybe we have been looking and, and the educators that I know at the local schools have mentioned this before, that maybe the bottom of the barrel, and I say that, in the kindest possible way is being pushed towards the trades. Right. And it's not that the person is the bottom of the barrel human being. It's that they're continually being told this is a bottom of the barrel job. It's a consolation prize. Yeah. Consolation prize. But that, and, I mean, that just, that just tells you, you the training is needed. Even absolutely. More than- Absolutely. But, but I think it is an overreaching problem. And I think Carolyn's got it dead on the money. We've got to market this differently. We, uh, we've the, got the to marketers get this are going to show up where the money is. And that's sort of the problem. Like you can't, they're not, technician, a technician. I mean, well, look at, look at, uh, uh Paul and, and, uh, scanner Danner program. What is it like 90 bucks a year or a hundred bucks a year or whatever? Like right. the very best marketers aren't going to get out of bed for that. And he's doing it for altruistic reasons. He, you know, he's not he's not buying a bunch of boats with a hundred dollars a year that these random technicians are paying him for his for his premium stuff. But you know, if the, it, and and the other problem is these technicians aren't going to pony up twenty five hundred dollars for X Y Z course. And I I don't know I don't know that there's an answer. To, like I, I was uh, I, just across my email. Uh, there's a book that's coming out on hybrids. Looks interesting. And I'm like, okay, great. Um, I could definitely give that to one of my technicians. He will read the book. Well, what's an unreasonable amount of money to pay for a book? It's a book now. It's not a course. There's some videos that come with it. I can't send them somewhere. The book is $500 for the book. It's now, like a college textbook. Yeah. I, I don't know. Like it, if it's 800 pages, maybe I don't think it was 800 pages, but, but they're not selling it. Maybe that's what their market is. It's just like 500 bucks for a book, a book. Okay. Package that completely different. Put some videos together, create an entire course on it where you're explaining sections of the book, you know, then have a, a, a printed portion, then charge, you know, $1,500 for that. And the book, you can buy the book for 30 bucks or 40 bucks or 50 bucks. But the book is the introduction to the course. The course has more in-depth knowledge. It's a little bit more interactive. Now you have a way to graduate them from the book into a more expensive product. That makes sense to me. I'd buy the $1,500 course, give it to my technician, say, hey, here, I bought you this course. comes with this great book. Read the book, follow the videos. And then as the vehicles come in, apply that knowledge to the vehicles. That makes sense to me, but instead these, I, don't know, these, I mean, they're, they're putting good product or good information out there, but they're packaging it all wrong. It's like, what technician wants to pay $500 for a book? 
Do you think any te- technician is going to pay 500 for a book? No. And they, oh, and you could save money by buying the ebook, but they only gave you one year access to it for, you know, I don't even know what it was, like $200 or something like that. For ebook access, you get to see PDFs. Just, ugh, my head hurts. So, well, Lucas, and- you were trying to arrive at the, yeah. what's the source of all of these problems, and it's clearly that shop owners are too cheap. I think we've just, yeah, I, think we've just, we've just isolated it. Definitely. <laughs> well, definitely. I'm, I'm sorry. No, no, hold on, hold on, hold on. It is no. not that I am cheap. I just said that I would pay 1500 I am cheap, but that's not the point. I would pay $1,500. <laughs> I would pay $1,500 for a video course that came with the book. The book should be the, the, the pathway that gets me to the more expensive product. And then maybe there's an in like a hands-on class for 3000 like, Graduate me to the, to, to a more expensive product, but don't bring me in it to say, look, we put all this great information in this book. We want $500 for it. It's like, okay, well, it, the worst thing in the world is that I buy the book for $500 and the technician doesn't even open it. Because yeah. it's just a book at the end of the day. There's no engagement there. There's nothing that comes along with the book. Now, you know, the right technician, they're going to read the book. But most technicians are never going to open the book. I have piles of books that I buy just to make me feel good about myself about buying this book. Man, this is going to be full of great information, and I'm going to read it. I may not get to that book. And I've got piles of them I haven't even opened. But one day, I'm going to get to the book. And so the th- that ends up being the issue. It's it's not that the information isn't there; they're marketing the information all wrong. It just doesn't make any sense to me the way they've got that structured. It just it's not about the price. Hold up, hold up. I, and and look, I I think at the end of the day, it does come back to to price. And I I I think I can pinpoint from my perspective a couple of these issues in one thing. And and so you know. A lot of the educators, right? A lot of the automotive trainers, they were once technicians. And a lot of shop owners were once technicians. And to say that technicians are a very proud people is is probably an understatement. Mm. And, you know, I think when we look at it from the outside looking in, I know I've had more than one experience where I've talked to one of the most brilliant educators you could ever imagine. And they're very, very egotistical in some ways. And, and that's a human characteristic. I'm I'm not throwing down on that. I'm not saying that's something we need to fix, but I am saying that so much of this, I believe stems from the technician mindset in a lot of ways, because, you know, we talk on the podcast all the time that a lot of the problems that a owner faces um, that we see is where they have come from a technician role into the owner role, and they never learn what the owner role is. They undervalue themselves. Um, they come in, they start running the shop. The shop's not profitable. They never learn to manage the financials or record the financials so they can look at the numbers. And I think so much of, you know, Carolyn, you said shop owners are cheap, and I know you were joking. But there are a lot of really cheap shop owners. I'm sure you deal with it with shopware. And, and you know, I guess my point is this, is that if if they're not watching their financials, every single cent they spend is fearful, right? Because they don't know where that money's coming from. They can't see it. They don't have an understanding that this is a return on investment or this is something I'm spending because I want to spend it. 
they really don't know what their financials look like. In the same sense, we've got educators who don't want to be told that, hey, there's a better way to market your class. And and there again, they've not learned the financial management skills. Even if they work for a company, they're not going to go back to the company and say, hey, we're not marketing this correctly. Maybe talk to this guy. Because in their mind, all they can see is, oh, they're saying I'm doing something wrong. And that's mm-hmm. an ego thing. So I, I think that a lot of this comes back to changing the technician mindset for me um, and changing the owner mindset, begin to educate them that, that you know, and, and I, I know this is so stereotypical, but we're not grease monkeys anymore. You know, one of the big things that, that I've, I've upset a lot of people with and, and it's frustrated a lot of people with an ASOG is there's a profanity filter. And I cuss like a drunken sailor. I'm not going to lie. I mean, like anybody who knows me in real life knows that if there's not a client around, I've got a dirty mouth. But I really believe, and I know the the reason that the administrator of ASOG put it in place is because we have to change ourselves to a professional industry. We want to change the perspective of others, of our industry, that we're professionals it would amaze you how upset people get about not being able to say their favorite curse word to someone. They get really upset about it. But if we want to change the face of the industry, it, I think it starts with little things like that. You just right? got to see how butthurt they get about not being able to cuss on ASOG. And how, how many shop owners have you had to kick out because they just get so upset? Hundreds. Yeah. Hundreds and hundreds and hundreds. And that's the or, hill they decide to die on, which is nuts to me. Yeah, mm-hmm. and and oh, it's even better. They'll they will call and message and text and complain about somebody who disagrees with their perspective. He told me to charge more. I can't believe he would tell me to charge more. That's not right. He shouldn't <laughs> be able to do that. Maybe you should charge more. I can't well, believe you said that. You know what's so yeah. funny is that people pretend like they're on social media, like involuntarily, like it's happening to them. It's like you came here. <laughs> you exactly. don't have to listen to me. If you don't want to listen to me, you don't have to be here. <laughs> right. You just go somewhere you know, else. <laughs> I, years ago, I had a trouble technician. Um, and, and Carolyn, you actually met the one I'm talking about. And mm. uh, Rick told me one time, he said, uh, do you know what I would say to him? And I said, what? He said, uh, hey, bud, I can't imagine this place without you, but starting Monday, we're going to try. Um, you know, that's the ASOG <laughs> motto. So. Yeah, I mean, I think that the, the, that the heart and soul piece, though, like who we are, and I think a lot of people own their, you know, open their own business so they can do whatever the hell they want. We're all a bunch of little Napoleons. Yeah. And yeah. that's good, right? Because our, our, our insistence and our willingness to, you know, open a, a new business, be a small business owner, you know, you've got to be fiery to be able to yep. do it. And so to try and quench that, I don't know, I don't, we don't have to rip, you know, the automotive out of automotive, I don't think. Right. Um, and so there's a lot of like discussion about professionalism and, you know, cleaning it up. I have a big, you know, guys in my shop uh, need to tuck in their shirts. They don't like that. Like, tuck in your shirt. Um, but you know, the, um, how do you balance, right? How do you both, um, how do you keep the authentic piece? Um, you know, obviously we just don't have enough money in our businesses. If we're not having enough money to train, if you, if you're a technician and you don't have enough money to go to class, you're not getting paid enough. 
And if you're a shop yep. owner and you don't have enough money to pay for your technician's training, you're not making enough either. So, you know, I've been talking to people about labor rates. Um, it just came up again recently. I was going to my 20 group this weekend and um, I was looking at everybody's effective labor rates in the group. And these are, a lot of these guys are doing like high-end European stuff and their labor rates are around a hundred bucks. And I'm like, what are you doing? You know, like just make it 120, just make it 120 guys. Like just put up 20 bucks. It's not even that much. Um, and then you can buy as many $500, you know, buy that $500 book. Uh, David, you can see what all the, the fuss is about, but what's your, what's your labor rate right now, David? I feel attacked here. This is ridiculous. <laughs> <laughs> don't tell me what to make my labor rate. Woman, don't tell me. Don't tell me I run my shop. <laughs> I, I am over $120, just so you know. Um, right. By the way, I, I feel bad now because I was uh, ragging on the book. And they've got an online training course. I'm totally going to sign up for this thing. This is fantastic. It's 450 bucks for six months per technician of online training. And uh, they will walk away with it has some conventional training and some hybrid and electric car training all over this. No, hey, check it out. no Listen, contracts dude. to sign. Why aren't they marketing? I didn't get an email for this. I got an email for their $450 book. David, you can get all this information this guy was on a vision, YouTube way, channel. What's that? Just subscribe to a YouTube channel. I'll learn everything I need to know about hybrids. Yeah, just get on Carolyn's YouTube channel. Everything's there, especially taking out light bulbs. That's right. Yeah, dude. Mm-hmm. I'm telling you. That, that's Five what minutes. you need. Hey, I know. found the video. Holy crap. Look at that. 306,000 views. Ten dude, it is the most useful video you've ever seen about taking out a Prius headlight. I mean, it's, you know. Well, there's, there's two videos. One is how to remove the, 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 the entire... Lens I don't like your headline. Me. You're going to need to and, change the headline. Ooh, what's <laughs> we have a problem here. Pulling a Prius headlight assembly in under five minutes. Mm-hmm. No. no. <laughs> efficiently. You put efficiently at the end. Because <laughs> this video says you can do it in five minutes. Why are you charging me $200? <laughs> yeah, and we, and we, we charge. You know, we charge. We need to charge. I mean, we charge. Um, we charge. Uh, I think probably half an hour uh, to R&R a, a lens and then whatever else is in there that we're doing if we're doing a, you know, ballast piece or, you know. Anyway. Yeah. Man, now I feel like such a dummy. I didn't watch that video until I was 45 minutes in. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's what I'll tell, I'll tell the customer that. Well, we turned the video on 45 minutes in, so... <laughs> How do you have 286 dislikes? What's wrong with people? Oh, people people want me to to show them how to do it. They're mad that they can't, they're not getting instructions. So it's just, I haven't watched the video. So it's just you actually doing it, but you don't, you don't tell them how to do it. If it's under five minutes, you just, in both of the cases, I'm just doing the work. I used to, when I was wrenching, I used to just set up a a point and shoot um, cannon and I would record, I had a little uh, pedestal too that I could, like attach it to the back of a, a headrest or something too. So I could uh-huh. film like dash work and I could do different things. And I thought it was just cool to um, post that stuff. So you can see kind of how the car comes apart and like, what's a, you know, what does a professional look like when a professional is working on this course, assuming that I look professional, but you know, when you see somebody take apart a car very quickly, you start to realize, okay, this is, <laughs> this is somebody who knows what they're doing. 
Um, yeah. I like the I like the demystification of it too, where it's like, okay, I can actually see this. I still don't want to do it, but at least I can see it, and so now I understand it better than whatever I'll pay you uh, to replace my headlights. So, um, and then I thought it was nice to have a uh, you know images of women working on cars because there's not very many of those. So I like that too. But I used to I used to, I used to record myself doing different stuff. Well, I hope you enjoyed this episode of the ASOG podcast. If you'd like to support the podcast along with the work of ASOG, just go to our website, asog.site, that's A-S-O-G dot S-I-T-E, and click on the Become a Patron Now button. Becoming a Patron gets you several perks, supports this podcast, and is entirely tax deductible. That's because ASOG is a 501c3 educational charity. Once again, make sure that you're subscribed to the podcast. And if you're listening to this on Apple Podcasts, leave us a review. It really does help us out. Don't forget to subscribe to the YouTube channel and hitting that like button. As an apology for all of the shenanigans lately, the like button sent Lucas several gift boxes from Zabar's in New York. Relieved it wasn't a trick, Lucas was able to enjoy his New York sandwich and smoked fish kit. Gently caress that like button as a thank you. As always, if you have any questions, comments, or concerns, or if you'd like to be a guest on the podcast, or if you have any topic suggestions, please reach out to me via email. My email address is david at asog.site. That's D-A-V-I-D at A-S-O-G dot S-I-T-E. Until next time. you enjoyed this episode of the ASOG podcast. Before I let you go, I need to ask you a question. Are you using the best innovative shop management system in the country? If you doubt that you are, why are you making your life harder? Shopware stays one step ahead of everyone else by bringing a clean, easy to use program unlike anything else on the market. Go to getshopware.com and see what I mean today. That's getshopware.com. Check it out. Thank you for listening to the Changing the Industry podcast. If you enjoyed the show, do us a favor and leave us a review on your favorite podcast player. And don't forget to set it to automatically download the latest episode. Our efforts with this podcast, the YouTube channel, and the Facebook group wouldn't be possible without the support of our awesome sponsors. So please take a moment, check them out by clicking on the links in the show notes.